everyone. Welcome to Possibilities Podcast. On this podcast, we will be in conversation with ideas, people, and practices that stretch our sense of what is possible, have made me possible, and create possibilities for all of us. This is the first ever episode, and I'm your host, Umang. I am a queer, brown, non-binary writer, visual artist, and filmmaker. I have been working in queer people of color communities and in the film and television industry in Toronto, where I've lived for the most of the last nine years. I'm more and more doing my own artistic work now with a specific focus on screenwriting. I've created a couple short films and I'm developing a TV pilot and web series, which I'm really excited about. I also just released a scene filled with essays with some artwork with my buddy Ren Prague. It's called Juicy Mangoes, Conversations from Beyond the Binary. I am very drawn to conversations around healing, journeys, creation, ritual, and also time travel, mythology, astrology, this planet, space, and the unknown. So that's very likely to seep into the conversations we have here. Also, home and belonging, you know, is a topic of lifelong contemplation for me. I've lived in many different places, and I might live in some more in the future. These days, I like to say that I find joy in being from neither here nor there. It's one of the ways in which I am non-binary. It's taken me a long time to find the joy in not being from just one definite place. But some of the most nourishing experiences of home have been in travel and in movement. The in-between holds a lot of magic for me. So that's a perspective I'll be bringing in. And as I mentioned, I'm working on a few different projects at the moment. So while I'm really excited about this podcast and have some fun interviews lined up for future episodes, I'm going to be releasing episodes at a pace that makes sense for me. Because time's not linear and fuck urgency. Okay, so I'm starting this podcast now because I'm in a new phase of my life. You know, For a long time, I had really lost my sense of possibility. I had a lot of hopelessness in me, which is a particularly strange feeling as a Sagittarius. Because, you know, if you know anything about astrology, you know that we're the most optimistic sign of the zodiac. Anyway, I kept finding myself in situations that were requiring me to be small. And yet somehow I thought those spaces were the best I could hope for. But I don't believe that any of us are meant to stay stagnant or small. You know, so the universe kept throwing curveballs my way, but they were all deep lessons. And I'm so grateful for all the people that have nourished me through the turmoil. My therapists, energy workers, astrologers, friends, mentors, visionary thinkers, artists. The work people do out in the world has such impact, whether it's deep one-on-one work or it's just putting something out there with authenticity and vulnerability. I know from experience that when someone or something has a genuine and honest energy, they can really shift people in powerful ways. So while by no means have the ups and downs of life ended, today I'm in a place where I feel a lot of expansion and creative energy. And this podcast is my attempt to honor and nurture that energy. I want to be in conversation with people who inspire me, who fill me with wonder, whose work has the capacity to transform and help us all envision new and better possibilities. So, who better to start this podcast off with than Adrienne Murray Brown? I recently got to interview Adrienne while she was in Toronto a few weeks ago, and that is who this episode's possibility conversation is going to be with. Adrienne is a writer, social justice facilitator, pleasure activist, sex philosopher, healer, and doula based in Detroit. She co-edited the anthology Octavius Brood, science fiction from social justice movements, and she's the author of Emergent Strategy, Shaping Change, Changing Worlds. If you've been part of social justice movements in the last few years, there's a good chance you've at least heard of Emergent Strategy. It really seems to have hit a nerve in a really good way for many people. But just to give you a little rundown for those who aren't familiar with the book, uh, Emergent Strategy is a book that invites us to feel, map, assess, 
and learn from the swirling patterns around us in order to better understand and influence them as they happen. It is a resolutely materialist spirituality based equally on science and science fiction, a visionary incantation to transform that which ultimately transforms us. Elements or principles of emergent strategy are interdependence and decentralization, nonlinear and iterative practice, resilience and transformative justice, fractal organizing, adaptation, and creating more possibilities. Very on theme. Based on the book, Adrian has created the Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute, and last year led three weekend-long immersions in Detroit that explored principles of emergent strategy in an embodied way. They're doing several immersions this year in different cities in the U.S. I attended an immersion last October in Detroit, and it was a deeply impactful experience for me. Uh, I refer to this experience of the immersion in the interview a couple times during our conversation. Adrian now has released a new book called Pleasure Activism, The Politics of Feeling Good. It is a New York Times bestseller. The book is a wide-ranging response to Audre Lorde's essay, The Uses of the Erotic, and Tony Cade Bambara's call that the revolution must be irresistible. It is really a rich book in its exploration of the realms of personal and community pleasure. And this book is the basis of what we talk about in this interview. What I love about Adrian's work is that it stands in deep lineage. It isn't about reinventing a wheel or prescribing a one-size-fits-all solution. It is about reconnecting with that which we have been socialized out of because of capitalism and colonialism. It's about coming back to ourselves and learning from all that is around us and finding that flow that takes us all on an upward spiral that makes us free. I stand Adrienne Marie Brown pretty hard. In person, she's just a magical, beaming ball of love. Her energy is palpably joyous. Each time I've shared space with Adrian, I have felt expansion, gotten bolder in my acts of self-love, and been inspired to do my work with more wholeness. And that, to me, is also the gift of pleasure activism. Also, Sages love Virgos. That's not my opinion. That's just a well-documented fact. So before we transition into the interview, I just want to say a couple things. One is I want to say, you know, at the time we recorded the interview, I was going by Akruti. Omang is a name I'm newly stepping into, so when Adrian addresses me as Akriti, it's because that's how I introduced myself to her. And the other thing is, I just want to set the scene a little bit. Adrian had been on a multi-city tour promoting her book, and I was supposed to talk to her before her event in Toronto on May 6th, but uh, she was made to miss her flight and spent long hours at the airport and made it here just in time for the book launch. And of course, then she did the event. It was a packed house. She did a reading and a book signing where she was present with many, many people who wanted to share their love for her. And after all of that, Adrian sat with me and my dear friend, Alicia Lim, who helped me do tech support to do this interview at Lula Lounge. And through the whirlwind of the day, she hadn't really gotten to eat much. So in the early part of the interview, there are some moments of Adrian, you know, getting food and drinks. Uh, but all that chaos does die down and Adrian drops jewels all along the conversation. So just stick with us. I think this is going to be well worth your time. I had so, so much fun doing this interview. I hope you enjoy it just as much. I'm so excited for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been following your work for a while, and it's been so transformative. And uh, your work online, your 
I love your podcast with Autumn. Thank uh, you. It's, it's, and I just want to talk about the podcast, How to Survive the End of the World, because it's like, there's that meme where like there's this kid yes. sitting and they're like three people having fun. And it's just like me sitting and like listening to your podcast. <laughs> being like, I'm part of this. <laughs> but I'm like in my home. It's true. <laughs> I'm in my underwear. It's great. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wear underwear like, sometimes. I know, my, my underwear uh, are exciting. Pretty, yeah. yeah. I, I'm picky about what I wear. So You know? Um, What's your side? Sag. Oh, yes. Of course. Yeah. Sag. Sad, sad. Fire, fire. <laughs> I have also like, read your book, uh, Octavia's Brood, and, oh, uh, and Emergent Strategy, which came out a couple years ago. Uh, and I came to the immersion in Detroit exactly. in October, which was so impactful for me and such beautiful relationships. Um, we're just in a busy space. so if where, where we did the books, the actual book stuff all happened here. Yeah. So we had a book. Adrian had a book launch. And so if you hear a little bit of background noise, that's what it is. That's what's happening. Yeah. Just we'll invite it in. <laughs> uh, but I have to say, honestly, even though I feel like I had been uh, interacting with your work for a while, when I first got your book, I felt like a little bit of a resistance to opening it. Oh, good. Um, Tell me about that. Which one? The pleasure one? Pleasure activism. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. one about pleasure. <laughs> you know? And I felt I like, like mm. I felt like I sat on my nightstand for a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, no. Keep saying things about me. Uh, yeah. Just so the, <laughs> the listeners know what's happening. I traveled here today and it was all kind of magical and then I didn't actually get to really eat dinner. So we're going to be ordering some, can I just get the spring rolls? Yeah, that would be great. Just like the vegetarian spring rolls would be banging. Fried, yeah, fry them up. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, Adrian's had a wild day. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. just such a blessing that we're actually getting to do this. I'm so I'm glad. so excited though. Me too. I was like, we're not skipping this, so we're just gonna move it back. If you're done to wait, I'm coming. Thank you, thank you. I mean, I think I was just like, yeah, the the delving into pleasure just felt a little scary. Mm -hmm. And um, I once I read the book, I think I understood it a lot more. Like I was like, mm -hmm. oh, this is why. Uh, mm -hmm. But I'll, I let me just set up the first question by um, yeah talking about one of the rationalizations I had before I opened the book, mm -hmm. which was we're in this incredible moment in the world where like the five alarm emergency every single day in every single kind of political, ecological, spiritual realm. Like, mm -hmm. And you also talk about this in the book. Uh, you, you also grapple with your own feelings about it. I was just telling Alicia earlier today that uh, Jakarta is now uh, not the capital of Indonesia because it's sinking. Yes. You know, it's just like the ocean is just taking over. Literally, yeah. Uh, which is, you know, aside from all the right-wing governments everywhere doing yes. horrendous things, like it's today's the first day of Ramadan and Gaza is being bombed. Yes. You know, it's just such yes. an uh, intense time. And there's so much to say a full embodied no to in this moment. Yes. So why pleasure activism now? That's great. I really appreciate this question because when I – Finished Emergent Strategy, I was very aware that there were a lot of different directions that I could go. And I, I thought I was going to go in different directions. I was like, I'm definitely doing a transformative justice deep dive. Like what we need more than anything else is just as much as we can get on transformative justice. And then as I was facing that work, I realized that there were people out there who were writing books about transformative justice that I was like, oh, I trust them to do this really well. So there's a book coming out called Beyond Survival. That's Leah Lakshmi Piepsna Samra Sinha and Ajiris yeah. Dixon mm. co-editing it. Um, and then Miriam Kaba and Shira Hassan are putting out um, a book. Um, oh, what is it called? Fumbling Towards. Oh, God, it's so good. Fumbling Towards Life. I can't remember what it is right now, but I'll, I, I'll yeah, figure it out. Yeah, I saw it online too, but yeah. Exactly, yeah. right? So it's like. But it's all about that, like, how do we actually learn from the mistakes we're making mm -hmm. with transformative justice, which I think is very exciting. So I was like, okay, those areas are covered. 
And pleasure just kept coming up for me as something that was like a part of my healing, a part of my embodiment. So I think part of the why now is as long as I've been alive, it's actually been somewhat of a crisis, right? And especially the more I get politicized, the more I understand like, oh, the times when I thought it wasn't a crisis were actually very much because I wasn't attuned to what was going on. It wasn't because there was less stuff going on. It was because we were less connected. And now the more I learn, the more I realize like there's always, always these crises going on. So I started to get curious, like what ties these crises together, mm. right? And one of the things that ties them together is that we get convinced that we need something outside of ourselves mm. to enjoy being a part of this miraculous planet. So I'm like, oh, who does that convincing, right? And very quickly, any question you ask about why am I suffering, the answer is almost always capitalism, right? So I'm like, why am I suffering? Oh, because all of these things that should just be mine, that I should just have access to, yep. I have been told are unnatural, unclean, um, that are it's slutty, it's hoish, um, that and you know, it's like someone wants to control it, right? The church wants to control it, my school wants to control it. But I'm like, again. Why control me as a brown woman? What what do you get out of that? And it's like a shit ton of money, right? You get so many resources from people who believe that they don't have access to joy or happiness inside themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's part of what oppression does. It's part of the actual shape of oppression is to convince us that we can't access joy, that we can only access joy if we get in closer proximity to whiteness or closer proximity to money. Basically, to me, the biggest piece of it was like pleasure is actually a measure of our liberation. It's a measure mm. of our freedom. It's a way that we know what we are fighting for. I have been a part of movement organizing my entire adult life. And what I've seen over and over again is that we increase, increase, increase our misery. So, you know, I've been in these spaces where I was like, oh, we're supposed to martyr ourselves. That's how we prove that we're doing the work. Yeah. And. I think one other thing, and this is kind of left over from emergent strategy, but the way that news is given to us now, it's not like these crises aren't happening, but the way that everything's fed to us is in an urgent crisis mode. And I think about this, that like pleasure, in a lot of ways, pleasure requires us to actually slow down and feel. Oh my God, yeah. And so when I'm thinking about, well, what is a uh, what is the fastest way we can get people to slow down, if that makes sense? Mm. It's like, Tune into your body. Tune actually into your body. Mm. And I love what you just, I hope it's okay to share this, but like when you just share that you stepped out for a moment because the energy was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I'm like, there's so much wisdom in the fact that you knew to do that, that you could feel in yourself. I'm overwhelmed by just the energy here. I need to take a moment out of it and then return to it, right? Yeah. And I feel like this is something I'm learning to do more and more is to be like, oh, like, I, I am responsible for my energy. I'm responsible for what I take in and what I put out. We're not trained. We're not taught that we're actually all very much co-responsible for what it feels like to be alive. Totally. Right? Mm -hmm. So all of those reasons are why pleasure activism. Because the, the really core request inside of it is if we're doing this work for justice and liberation, we need to make it the most pleasurable experience we can have. Yeah. We need to be able to feel good when we are creating good in the world. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, so so often we're like in the struggle and yes. then we're always struggling with the struggle. Exactly. And I mean, in the book- And then trying to one-up each other with our suffering, which I'm like, yeah. none of us, I, I don't want to win that race. I mean, who? yeah, nobody wins. It's not a winning game, you know? Uh, and uh, I mean, you also say at one point in the book where you said that what's easy is sustainable. 
So if it's pleasurable, then we're actually going to be able to do it. Exactly, right? Yeah. And I think about this a lot where when I enter into an organizing space that is designed around the whole people that are coming into it. So recently, um, I was at the Building Accountable Communities gathering that Miriam Kaba called mm -hmm. together in New York. And the space was exquisite in terms of the caliber of humans that were mm -hmm. in the room. So I was like, this is amazing. But then... What took it to a whole nother level was the Harry's Apothecary space. And it's like a healing collective. Right. And at some point I had given like a talk and I'd done a workshop and I went and sat in another workshop where um, my friends Prentice Hemphill and Mark Anthony Johnson were just being brilliant. Y'all are so amazing. People are just bringing me food offerings throughout this podcast. So you got to eat. And I'm like, I'm being so well-fed right now. Yeah. I've got Doritos and spring rolls. It's amazing. So, you know, Harry's Apothecary what had set up a, this room upstairs. So I sat, I listened to the Brilliance Apprentice of Mark Anthony. I was feeling so full of black love, black brilliance, black magic. And the whole space had been like that. Like it was just like, what are all of us learning in our different communities about how to be in right relationship with each other? Mm -hmm. So it was thrilling. It was amazing. But then at a certain point, I was like, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm full. I'm too full. And I need to just go... I need to be cared for. Mm. So I went upstairs to this little space that they had created. They had taken like a room and turned it into a magic zone. There was the stitched artwork that comes from climbing poetry was covering all the walls mm. around. And there were stations. There was a station where you could go color. There was a station where you could just go and like inhale some scents. There was like an altar place where you could put your ancestors down. That's and then so they beautiful. had set up kind of a, a, um, it felt like a cross out of yoga mats in the middle of the room. Mm. And so I went in, someone laid hands on me for a little while and just held space for my body. I ended up sleeping for a little while in that space, which I'm like sleeping in the middle of a conference. That's It was so brilliant. Yeah. And then I woke up and there was a little child, the most beautiful little black baby, just like picking up a ball right in front of my face that she had been playing with. And she just like stopped and like looked at me. And I was like, am I in heaven right now? Like I feel so blessed. Yeah. And she just started playing and we just played with her for a little bit, you know, and it, it was just such a gorgeous space. And I was mm. like, I want to come back because this was included. Yeah. 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 That's what makes it possible. Yes. That's beautiful. In Emerging Strategy, you talk about moving at the speed of trust and you open pleasure activism with an act of trust. You know, you share a lot about yourself in order to build that foundation with the reader. Um, you write that trust is a crucial part of intimacy that yields pleasure. Mm. But one of the things that gets destroyed really quickly with trauma, you know, is trust. Even something like believing your own story can yes. be like such an intense thing or yes. uh, such a huge challenge if, you know, you've been gaslit or told your feelings don't matter or what have you. Um, and of course, you know, like some of the deepest traumas come from the intimate relationships where trust is implicit. Yes. You know, let alone whatever regimes of like, data collection or mass surveillance uh, are there. Um, so how do we orient towards trust, um, maybe especially when being distrustful has been, and even is in some cases, an um, important survival tactic? That's great. Um, I really appreciate that because I do believe that most of the, the patterns of harm that we experience get set by people that we are in, told to trust mm. implicitly. I think those patterns of harm get set in our familial spaces. I think those patterns of harm get set in our school spaces mm -hmm. and then all the sudden in our religious spaces, right? Oh my God. So I'm like all three of these sites where it's like, oh, these are places where I was growing up and I was innocent and I was a child and I was harmed emotionally. I was harmed spiritually. I was harmed physically, right? Um, 
So I think it to me, it's like, oh, totally makes sense that people be like, you know what? Fuck trust. <laughs> that doesn't work. So I feel like that I totally makes total sense. And inside of that, what we end up with is um, isolation, mm. right? That if you don't fundamentally, if you if you're like I can't trust anyone, mm. no one is trustworthy, then you end up by yourself, completely by yourself. Yep. And in that place, to me, being completely isolated has been when I have felt the least um, sane mm. in insane and connected to the living world. Mm. Right. That like in that isolation, I'll spin off into a belief that I don't deserve to exist or that everyone hates me. Or, you know, basically that like belonging is impossible for me Mm -hmm. and safety is impossible for me. And so I'm like, okay, I've explored and tried the strategy of not trusting. And I've explored the strategy of of building a very high barrier for trust. So I was Mm -hmm. like, I will trust you. And I'm a Virgo. So I'm like, I can create a list that's very long. I'm like, I will trust you if you can check off all of these things on my list right and show that you are a perfectly perfect trustworthy person as a virgo rising i concur you understand right because we we get each other yeah. so i grew up with all sages so i feel like somewhere that astrologically shaped me totally <laughs> we're a presence exactly right it's magical so but i think the, so the flip side of that for me has been what if i actually can cultivate inside myself remember inside myself the way that i was born Um, Because I, you know, I work as a doula. And so one of the things you see in a childbirthing experience is like, we are born to trust. Mm. We are literally, and I've said this a couple times recently, but it's like we're born into another person's hands. Like Mm -hmm. that's how birth works. And we are born into a condition in which we cannot keep ourselves alive. We have to rely on other humans caring just enough. Like they might not even love us, Mm. but they're going to care just enough to keep us alive, to make Mm -hmm. sure we're fed, to make sure we're not wallowing in our own poop right like to love us until we are able to do those things that other animals are able to do right like turtles they break out their egg they come up and they run to the ocean they're like my responsibility i have to stay alive right horses deer other things are born and they're like standing up within minutes Mm -hmm. for whatever reason we are given both the capacity to reason and the necessity of trust. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, if I try to return myself to that natural necessity for trust, Mm -hmm. what does that look like? And what does that yield in my life? I've had to remember how to feel in order to remember how to trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm like, there are people who are not trustworthy. Yep. Yeah. I can feel that. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I meet someone, I'm like, oh, and I didn't for a long time. I mean, this is a pretty recent you know, Jedi mind trick that I've been yeah. figuring out is I'm like, oh, I didn't know how to trust. So I've always been a pretty, like, I think there are people who might describe me as naive, um, but I've always been a pretty trusting person. Right. Even though I've gone through harm, like trust is like a default shape for me. So I have definitely trusted people who were not trustworthy and I have dealt with the consequences of that in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now I'm very much in a place where I'm like, what do I feel in my gut? And I don't have to explain it to that person. I don't have to be like, you know, my gut says no on you, right? I'm just like, I can just set a different boundary, right? Yeah. Like, you can be at arm's length it's and it's superpower. all good, right? Yeah. You can be across the room. It's all good. There's people in my life who I'm like, I love, love, love this person, mm-hmm. but I can't trust this person. Mm-hmm. And so I keep a distance, mm-hmm. right? And that when I say trust there, it's I can't trust that person to love me. And to love themselves. And my friend Prentice Hemphill, who I I think is a genius, a black genius in the world, Mm. works with a bold 
organizing team, Black Organizing for Leadership and Dignity, is also a therapist, trained therapist, and body worker, and healer, and is doing a lot of work now around transformative justice. But Prentice said that boundary is the distance at which you can love yourself and I can love myself. Wow, yeah. And I I just am like swooning over the brilliance of that because Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's all it is to me. I'm like, I don't set a boundary because I'm like, I hate you and I want you over there. I set a boundary because I'm like, I can't trust that our love for ourselves can be intact if we're in any closer proximity. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, yeah, that's beautiful. And I feel feel like that explains a lot for me in my own relationships. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, one of the trust was one of the things that I was working on when I came to the immersion in Detroit. Uh, and I love I, that you came to the immersion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, I set an intention with my woe, uh, which is where woe is working on excellence. And you find yes. like a partner to work on excellence with was your accountability <laughs> buddy during the yeah. intensive weekend. Uh, shout out to my woe, Chrysaris. Uh, hey, Chrysaris. <laughs> yeah. Chrysaris are so great. Uh, so great. Uh, and uh, at some point during the uh, during the immersion, Chrysaris, she said to me, just like really casually in passing, uh, if you're having issues with trust, maybe you're not trusting yourself. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the I truth be, of the matter. Oh, my God. I have to be honest. It, this was the truest read of all time. Uh, but in the, true. in the moment, I was like, you don't know my life. I, everyone <laughs> around me. <laughs> you know? That's, I mean, I think this is often the case of what happens when someone says something that's really deeply true to yeah. us the first time. Yeah. Right? Where I'm like, oh, you know the truth about me? Yeah. Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. Oh, yeah. no, you like that? You can be knowing the <laughs> truth about me, right? So I often feel like that where I'm like, oh, this person just told me something. And this is actually a core thing about transformative justice, too. Because mm. I'm like, people tell us, oh, you caused harm. Mm. And we're like, I can't take that in right now. You don't know me. You don't understand. Yeah. And it takes a long time for most of us to be able to acknowledge, like, I was wrong or I was untrustworthy. And it's that same thing. It's like, can I trust myself under pressure? to do the right thing. I'll say an example of this happened today. Mm-hmm. I was traveling here. I was in the Chicago airport. I sat down in a empty chair and next to me there was this gorgeous jacket, mm-hmm. right? Like gorgeous. It was like a Calvin Klein kind of raincoat. Okay. And I looked around. I was like, does this belong to anybody? You know, like what's going on? And no one, no, everybody was like, no, no, no. And I realized it had been left there, right? Mm-hmm. And I just keep living my life. And then I was like, oh, maybe I should take it somewhere. So I like pick it up. I look at it. It's a double XL. Like I was like, oh. What are the chances? This is a very fancy, gorgeous raincoat that's my size, right? And then I was like, I could take this coat and just have this nice coat. Yeah. But then I was like, (laughs) okay. And you know what happened is I opened my text messages and I was clearing out my text messages. There was a text message from someone who I really respect that was like, you're such a good person. (laughs) Okay. So I was like, all right, you're not taking this coat. Someone lost this coat. This mm. is someone's like bad day mm. and you're trying to make it your good day. Mm. And so I took the coat over and I gave it to one of the staff people there. Lost and I was it. like, this is someone lost this coat. They're probably going to need it. Yeah. And anyway, and I didn't feel like, yeah, you know, I was just like, okay, that was the right thing to do. Yeah. And I was like, I, I have, I trust myself to do that kind of thing under pressure. Like it might not be my first instinct. Right. Cause like when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I used to love shoplifting. I used to love being like, Ooh, yeah. You left it. I found it. I mean, you know. Yeah. Right? But I'm like, oh, I don't need that. Yeah. I have raincoats. I'm fine. Right. Yeah. There's just something about it that's like, oh, I can trust myself to think this through and come to a better conclusion. Yeah. And that's taken time. Oh, Anjali, I love her. That's great. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Miming love. It can be on the record. She's the best. She really is like 
outstanding human being. Yeah. So. Shout out to Anjali. Anjali's the best. Um, You're not. <laughs> uh, Everyone's the best. Yeah. Everyone is. I mean, that is absolutely true. As you were saying, we're just a large percentage of people are pretty much the best of something, of the people around them. <laughs> Actually, there's some game that you can play that's like where you ask each other, like, what are the three best things? What are the three things that you are the best of, of anyone you know? And like mm. that everyone actually has a few things like that. They're like, hmm, that's real. Yeah. I'm really the best at this thing of, of my circle. I'm the best that's, at this, right? What are yours? Do you know what are? My three best things? Yeah. Um, what are you the best at of your circle? Uh, of my circle, I am very good at spending time with myself. Excellent. Uh, I take a lot of risks. I'm an adventurer. Oh, yes. Um, I'm, I'm the best at... I think um, reading my own energy. Ooh, that's really good. The seed text for this book is Order Lord's transformative essay, yes. uh, Uses of the Erotic. Everyone should read it uh, once yes. a year. Uh, and once listen a month. to it. Oh, yeah. It's, I tell people that. I'm like, find it and listen to it. Yeah, totally. Uh, in it, she writes, the erotic is a measure between the beginnings of our sense of self and the chaos of our strongest feelings. It is an internal sense of satisfaction to which... Once we have experienced it, we know we can aspire. For having experienced the fullness of this depth of feeling and recognizing its power in honor and self-respect, we can require no less of ourselves. <sighs> Every time. It's the truth. It is. It's the light in the way. You said something kind of in passing in October, but it really stuck with me because I felt like in, in, during the immersion where uh, it, because it captured where I felt like I was in the moment. Yeah. Uh, and you said there'll be a time in your life when you'll say enough and from that point on your real life will begin. Yes. And not in the sense that life mm -hmm. isn't real but it was the difference between the intentional and the unintentional life. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, or, you know, what Lord calls like living within the encouraged mediocrity exactly. uh, to working on excellence. Can you talk about how to navigate that inflection point and that transition? How, what does that feel like? I mean... It's interesting because I feel like a lot of people experience it as like Saturn returns or like a major graduation or a major right. breakup. Like a lot of it is like, this feels like the hardest moment of my life. And the reason for that is because it's like the whole concept of yourself that you have had, that you've been given mm. by those who are like, I want to shape you to fit into this world, right? So I'm like, you know, I talk about that. I'm like, I was raised by people who wanted to shape me into a world where people, you know, it's like in the military world, there's a view about patriotism. There's a view about violence. There's a view about that America's going to make the right decision and that we can support that. Yeah. There's these views, right? And I was raised inside of that. And so for me, there was that wrenching myself away from those belief systems, allowing myself to ask questions. But a lot of suffering inside that too is that like, I love these people. I don't want to reject them. Mm -hmm. But these ideas are not they're not my truth. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's that reckoning that happens for people. And it's actually often very hard. Yep. And it's often about breaking away from some relationship or changing the dynamics of some relationship that you have thought was eternally going to be the way it was. Yeah. So a lot of the guidance I give people for those moments is first notice that you're in one, right? Like notice like, and my, my sister's working on a science fiction novel that has a, a large piece around ideology, mm. thinking about what is the ideologies you you are espouse and what are the ideologies you would choose to actually support and move in the world. And I feel like that's been a, a reckoning point for me is like, oh, 
if I don't buy into patriotism, what is the what are other ideologies that I actually buy into? Mm-hmm. If I and, and you know where I've landed so far in my life is post nationalism, mm-hmm. right? That I'm actually like I believe that the human species is not meant to operate inside of um, armed borders. Yeah, right. And so I believe that the nation state is a flawed structure mm-hmm. fundamentally mm-hmm. that is not aligned with nature. Mm-hmm. It's not aligned with how humans actually need to move across nature for our survival. And it's not a, it's not aligned with how we mate, how we love, how we form relationship. And so it's unnatural, yeah. right? So I'm like, that was an ideological shift that took me a long time to go through. It wasn't just like overnight I realized this is it. Usually there's a first period where you realize that what is around you, doesn't. it feels off, it doesn't fit, it feels mm. there's something wrong here. You start to critique that which doesn't feel wrong. And then in that critiquing process, you slowly start to be exposed to options of what right could look like. Mm. And then you begin to actually move explicitly in a direction. This is why for emergent strategy work, and this is why for so much of what I, I support movement workers to do, I'm like, we have to really slow down the rate at which we expect people will be able to change their minds mm. and change their belief systems. And we have to have some compassion for how we change our own, right? Oh my God, yeah. Is that it's like, you know, I think about this with transphobia and trans love, right? That I'm like, I was attracted to to what I think of as the in-between for a long time before I had a language for it, a politic for it, an understanding of what it could be before I could move beyond a fetishization into like understand like what is this? Like what is what are these shapeshifters? And like what is it I'm actually drawn to? And in that process, I definitely created harm, right? I definitely um, moved into relationships where I wasn't seeing a whole person, mm-hmm. was actually seeing an idea, right? Right. There's stuff like that that I'm like, oh, I had to move from being terrified of trans people to being to wanting and desiring trans people to landing in a place where I'm like trans is one of the many ways that we can be right and it's another normal it's another way of humans being right and to land in that place where it's like it's not better it's not worse it's not more wonderful and special and unique and awesome it's not less it's literally just one of the many things that happens right now yeah right and it it may not always happen I always also think about that as I'm like this is a really important thing now or like this transformation that you're going through right now, it feels important, but it's only like for trans people specifically, I'm like, it's only important because we live in a system that is so committed to binary Mm -hmm. that it actually imposes a binary on babies, Mm -hmm. right? If that didn't happen, if children were born into a world where like gender was something that you got to select, you know, or live into when you were 18, you could say, here's what I figured out or whatever. I'm like in that world, we wouldn't need a trans space even necessarily. It would just be like gender is a totally liberated space. Right. Right. So, and I think about that even with my blackness or if other aspects of identity, I'm like, this is what it is in this moment, in these constructs. And it wasn't always this and it won't necessarily always be this. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I'm always like, how can I find the most liberated position inside of the current reality? Right. And that's what I tell, you know, when someone's like, Everything is changing. I'm losing my shit. I don't understand what's happening. I'm like, cool. Inside of that, can you be kind? What is the most liberated way that you can show up in this moment? Yeah. Right? What are the ways that you can step away from what you now understand to be a limited ideology? Mm -hmm. How can you open yourself? And then a lot of it is like, go read Audre Lorde. (laughs) Read Audre Lorde. Read Octavia Butler. Like, read. There's other people who have awakened 
before you. Mm, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's like the space sometimes between like when you you say that when you your nose make a room for your yeses. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but before that orgasmic yes comes in, there's like a space. Um, can you talk about that space? What do you have to like? Is there like just faith, belief that it's going to come? <laughs> like, how do yeah. you know it's coming? Yeah. yeah. That's so good. Um, one of the things that I have found to be the truth for my life is that if I'm overly focused on outcome, mm-hmm. I'm not ever able to get to the satisfaction. Right. right. That if I'm like, oh, it has to go like this. I have too many expectations. And then I'm trying to sh- overly shape the experience. And it's like, that's not going to work. Right. So one of the things I find myself doing a lot both in the realm of sex and in the realm of life is trying to release my expectation for what I thought was going to happen. Right. And find out what are the, what are the places where I need to relax to be in this present moment. Right. In the present moment, the miracles are all available mm-hmm. and it will most likely end in an orgasmic moment because when we drop into how amazing it actually is to be alive, right? right to me, this idea of like, I want to be, satisfiable mm. rather than I want someone else to give me something. You know, I'm just like, oh, I want to be a satisfiable person. And when I drop into the miracle of being alive, I feel very satisfied by the fact that like I get to be alive mm. right now. Um, and there's not some other better time that I could have been alive. Like whatever it is I'm meant to do, I'm meant to do it here and now. Yeah. Um, oh, and I was starting to talk about, I, I watched this show recently, One Strange Rock. Okay. It's like Will Smith talking with astronauts about space and Earth and how amazing everything is. And it really is like you high, not high. You can just watch this show and it's going to be like mind-blowingly awesome. Yeah. Um, but it's one of the things where I'm like, we're made of – like we're literally made of stardust. And somehow there's like bones and bubbles of flesh and blood. Like we're incredible. Yeah. And um, and then the pleasure that can happen between two people or three people or four people, I mean, it just gets like wildly incredible. Mm. So that's to me the thing. It's like find the way to release your expectations and relax into the satisfiable potential of the moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's so I, I love this idea of being able to be satisfiable. So we're yes. not like always uh, in a state of craving. Yes. My one of my somatics teachers, Stacey Haynes, was the first person to say that to me. And I, I remember when she said it to me, it kind of like shocked my system. You know, like I was like, what? I am. I'm totally, I, you know, and I, again, it had to take a while to be like, I'm not. Yeah. I have not been cultivating a satisfiable inner life, mm-hmm. right? And my other teacher, Spenta Kandawala, talked about it as like, could you actually answer when someone says, how are you? Could you actually just say, I'm good? What would it take? Like, what would have to shift in your life to be able to like, I'm good. And I, it became, it was like, this is a new wow. goal in my life is to be good and to mean it. Yeah. And not to be dismissing all the bad, but just be like, all of that is still happening and inside that I'm good. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about moderation, uh, which is one of the key principles of pleasure activism. And yeah, as we were talking about, being satisfiable means you don't have to constantly excessively consume. But like, you know, so many of us have been deprived of pleasure. And how do you res- responsibly indulge you know, especially if you have an addictive personality like many of us do. Yes. Um, and what does that moderation feel like? That's so good. Um, let's see. For me, I can feel when I'm in touch with a substance that I can't moderate and when I'm in touch with a substance that I can. And that's taken a lot of time. But I had an experience once um, I was in a town that was not my home and I got bitten by something 
and I had an allergic reaction. Like my arms swole up really big and they took me in the hospital and they hospitalized me and they were like, we've never seen anything like what's going on with you. These students, you know, there was a student, a medical school hospital or something. So all these students were coming by like every hour, like, oh my God, like we've never seen anything like this. And I was like, okay. So they were shooting into my arm, Daladin and Benadryl. And almost immediately, like after the first shot of it, I was exaggerating about my pain in order to get more mm. of that. I was like, yeah, definitely still hurting. I need you to shoot me up again, right? Yeah. And it was, and afterwards I had to come off of it, come off the, you know, drugs that they had put in my system. But it was really helpful for me to be like, I can never do injection drugs. Like, right. I, it feels way good. And I don't think I can moderate it. Right. Mm. And I want to, I, I'm like, oh, I want to be able to have agency in my life. Right. And for the most part, I have been able to moderate most substances in my life that I have chosen to mess with. Mm. Sugar has been the consistent one that I've like never been able to quite moderate. Sugar, what's up? It's always an extreme thing. Like I'm always like, I cut it out completely or I have it completely in my life. Mm -hmm. I will say right now I'm in a kind of exciting new territory with it because I've been doing intermittent fasting mm -hmm. and part of how it works is like you're going through these long periods where you're, you're not eating your body is processing differently and very quickly you're like what sticks to my body like what will stay and very few sugary things do mm -hmm. <laughs> so all of a sudden it's like okay like i understand that, that eating that sugar thing will like briefly do something for my tongue but it's not actually going to nourish me yeah um that's been really fascinating like i'm like oh this is the first time i felt my relationship to sugar might actually be something I could moderate. Mm. But otherwise it's always been like, it either has to not be in my life or totally be in my life. Right. Yeah. So I just think that there's something really important about being able to tell inside yourself and be honest with yourself about what you can and cannot moderate and then making choices from that place. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's something really important to me, like the realms of excess and numbing go together. Right. So it's like, if you're not in that moderate zone, I think you can go all the way to the realm of like immense excess where you're just going so overboard into the realm of overdose. Like you're just like nothing is ever enough. Yeah. And it's like, oh, can I catch that? Can I see that? And can I catch it before I'm in danger? Mm. And then I think on the other side of that, you can go so far into the level of numbness. Yeah. It can be excess numbness, overdose numbness, but it can also just be like, I don't feel anything. Yeah. Right. Nothing works for me. I hear, I hear that from people sometimes. They're like, yeah, I tried that drug. It didn't do anything for me. And I'm right. like- yeah, can you feel anything, right? Like, what does feeling mean to you? Mm. So for me, that idea of like, how do I moderate so that I get for maximum pleasure? Yeah. And I think about that all the time as I'm like, oh. And, you know, for me with weed and with alcohol, it's been a lifelong learning journey of like, I love to be tipsy. When I'm tipsy, I can feel a bit more. Mm. My defenses come down. I am having a good time. I don't like to be drunk. Right. Right. Like, I don't enjoy being drunk. I don't enjoy how I feel afterwards. Oh it's my not God. worth any of it, right? Mm. Same thing with being high. I'm like, I really enjoy being a little bit high. Right. Having a slightly altered, slightly calmed down way of being in the world. I don't love being so high that I'm comatose or I can't talk to people, mm. right? Like, that's there's no pleasure mm -hmm. of connection and pleasure of presence inside of that. Mm -hmm. So I think about that a lot. It's like how to navigate between those you know, sometimes very tempting zones of excess or numbness. Right. And how to land 
inside of a place where you're like, I can feel my life. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Um, I want to share a story with you. Uh, Yay, story time. <laughs> story time. Uh, so uh, I grew up in uh, Abu Dhabi in the Middle East in Dubai. Oh, uh, I've been to and, Dubai. Uh, I, yeah, that's where I'm going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're like, you're like so I know. <laughs> a couple years ago, uh, I watched a video of you facilitating a session in Dubai. And, you know, and you write about this in the book. I remember watching that video. And, you know, there's a lot to say about Dubai. Uh, you know, it, queerness is illegal. I grew up there. Uh, and, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. How did you find yourself? Oh, uh, uh, I left. Slowly. <laughs> yeah, I left early enough. And I was lucky enough to, like, live in different parts of the world. Um, uh-huh. But um, uh, anyway, but, you know, my family still lives there. It's just still something that I'm connected to. It's still a home of mine. Uh, and what you you can say a lot of things about the Bible. What you can't say is they don't know how to throw an event because they knew that Adrian Murray Brown is in town. You gotta have a pillow of Octavia Butler. <laughs> that is a Dubai I know. That was outstanding. You know that was outstanding. That was <laughs> so, my friend Emma. Emma is like an amazing curator and like one of those visionary creative beings. Yeah. And she curated that event. Well, well done. And I showed up and it was an Octavia Butler pillow and I sat on her face and it was great. And it was, and not only did you sit on her face, you like lived the moment out loud. Absolutely. Uh, and there was like a public room, you know, <laughs> like, and there's a video and you just were like, this is, I'm living this moment right now. This is happening. And it was, I watched it a couple years ago in Toronto and I remember feeling so pleasured by the, watching you ha- living your best life. <laughs> and I was like, this is a moment is everything. It's happening in Dubai. This feels satisfying for me, even though I yes. wasn't there. It was a time travel queer moment that was happening in a public setting in Dubai. Yeah. Uh, what and, could be better yeah and uh <laughs> I, I feel like your pleasure gave me pleasure and oh, that's community pleasure in thank a way thank you baby yeah uh so thank you for that <laughs> <laughs> uh you talk about ra- radical honesty as a path towards living with authenticity yes, and you know i'm right. sad so as we've already you established love to tell the truth love that i mean i can hear like a, lot of, <laughs> a chorus of water signs being like too blunt, too blunt. You uh, might want to be a little softer. Um, and I hear y'all. I, it's true. It's true. But also sometimes, you know, Dracarys. Dracarys <laughs> might be necessary at Dragon certain times. Fire. Also, I mean, I deeply, deeply, like, literally I grew up in a family of Sagittarians. Mm-hmm. And what I find is Sagittarians who are in touch with their honesty and with their hearts mm-hmm. at the same time are the best to be around because mm-hmm. They blurt out and say whatever the fuck, but then they're also like, was that okay? Are you okay? Like, is this cool? And it's like, yeah, usually it actually is. Like, I'm really happy to know. I feel like I grew up in a setting where I was like, oh, knowing the truth about what people think is is important and I I can handle the truth. Mm. And I actually, I'm so tilted that way. I'm like, if you're not being honest and I sense that you're not being honest, that's where distrust enters, right? Yep. Um, that's where it enters because I'm like, I grew up around a bunch of, for better or worse, honest human beings. You're welcome. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> and I love you guys. You're the best. <laughs> we are. Uh, I love Hurt being me a some more. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do want to say that like sometimes, um, yeah. you know, when we're honest, there's also rejection that comes with that. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, we can be honest with, I, I, I mean, in my own experience with family, with like certain romantic relationship friendships you know yeah. when you've said a truth about yourself uh or when you've like stated a need you can be made to feel both too much and not enough in the same moment oh yeah um and you know and then on the other side when you like say no to people they can or like you say you end dynamics that can feel like a rejection too absolutely it um, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is real. <laughs> so how do you navigate those terrains of radical honesty and rejection? That's great. I mean, one thing is I would rather have my rejections be straightforward rejections. Oh, my God. I think we get a lot of harm caused to us by rejections that are couched as not rejections, right? It's like totally. And I think we have a very like passive aggressive society at this point. Mm-hmm. I think I've talked about this somewhere about how we're so comfortable with the kind of conflicts that take us to the level of war and like bombing strangers and harming people. Mm. But we are so uncomfortable with intimate conflict that actually could resolve issues that are happening between us. So yeah. to me, the realm of that radical radical honesty rejection is like people are so scared that they're being rejected just because conflict is happening, mm. right? And I'm like, we don't have to be scared. It just means it's not a match. Yeah. And to me, the sooner I know something's not a match, the better. Like I'm like, yeah. I don't want to spend a bu- you know, because we spend so much time contorting for each other. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to contort for you. Like if it's not a match, if I'm not the person and I've been in relationships where I was like, I'm never ever gonna smoke tobacco, even though I do like an occasional cigarette once I've had a drink, right? I'm never gonna eat bacon. I'm never gonna, you know, like there's just so many ways that I find I have found myself in most of our relationships, contorting one way or another mm-hmm. to avoid rejection mm-hmm. rather than just being radically honest. Mm. Here's who I am. You tell me who you are. Right. It's just as important that you are compatible to me as that I am compatible to you. Right. right. And this is a thing that I think especially fems get trained in. Mm. It's just like we're supposed to orient around making ourselves desirable to another person through the art of contortion. Mm. And that people who are masculine of center are like, my job is to be the aligning force that you are orienting yourself around. Right. And <laughs> that's true. It's wild, yeah. right? And so when you start to pick up on that and be like, oh no, like I'm 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 now um in the process of I guess I'm always in the process, of, but I'm in the process of getting to know a number of new people. And it's really interesting to be like, oh, here's who I actually am. Like with kindness, with compassion, with love. But I'm like, I'm not scared of you rejecting me. What I understand is the universe never rejects me. Yeah. I have my place. You know, James Baldwin has that quote, your your crown has been bought and paid for. It's like, I'm already here. Mm. I'm queer. I'm black. I'm free. I'm liberated. I'm experiencing my pleasure. All that's already happening. Mm. I have been having what I think of as an ecstatic solitude lately. Mm. Like I, I've been single for, uh, let's see, six, seven months. Like what I think of as single. <laughs> Um, you know, everybody's different, but I have been having these experiences of like, I am the one who's shaping my time and my life and I'm pouring into myself the level of love that I have often poured into partners. Mm. And then I'm now meeting all these different people where I'm like, I, I'm so enthralled with myself. I love myself so deeply. I have a lot of compassion for the shadow sides of myself. I've Mm -hmm. got a Scorpio moon. I dive deep into myself and like really come up with jewels, you know, like. That's, I'm like, I love myself. And and what I want you to do is partner with that love for me, mm. right? And I, I want you to love yourself and I can partner with that love for you. Mm. Um, but I believe in a partnership where both people don't actually love themselves, that's where you end up with the most traumatic outcomes. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? That's real. And I'm like, to me, I'd rather we were both really honest and avoided all that trauma and that, right? I'm like, reject me now. Mm. Don't abuse me and then reject me later. 
Oh right? my God. Go ahead. Let's just start off. I'm like, if you're not into this thing that I am, yeah. let's just, let's not do this. Yeah. Because I'm also not going to be into the thing that you are, which is fundamentally like trying to control me out of being myself. Right. Yep. So to me, I, I feel like getting, and it's actually something I talk about in the book, but it's like getting more comfortable with the idea that there is rejection. There is incompatibility. Mm-hmm. We do get to set boundaries around those things. Mm-hmm. And the, and again, our no makes the way for our yes, right? Mm-hmm. Those times where like, this is not a match, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's interesting for me. I'm like, I've had this like, oh, we, if you're going to be my boo, like we have to, it has to be like this. You have to mm-hmm. travel all the time. You have to be down to be high with me. You have to mm-hmm. do this. You have to do that. And it's like, none of those things are necessarily true. Yeah. What is true is you have to be down for me to be myself, like a thousand percent myself. Yeah. And you have to just be yourself. Yeah. And we just have to see if that's fun or not fun. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I hear you. Oh, my God. That's very real. Um, Yay. <laughs> I love your affirmations. Yeah. This is going to be a great And podcast. I feel like I'm learning also, you know, there, there are mistakes that I've made. You I mean, know? honey, if we hadn't made mistakes, we wouldn't be here, right? Yeah, like, I think that's learning. true. I'm like, um, I'm learning. Otherwise, if I had, if I... Honey, if I was still in the first relationship I got into, I'd be the most miserable Adrian Marie Brown that ever lived. And nobody wants that. Everyone's mm-hmm. way better off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like 12. <laughs> God, <laughs> my goodness. I want to... I want to ask about your creative writing process. Oh, cool. You're so prolific. I'm a writer too. And um, Yay. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious about what you're, you're like. You've published traditional books, uh, but you also have done, and columns, but you also, you know, write on your blog. You write often on your Instagram posts and Facebook posts and stuff. Uh, and you're often like processing moments as they're unfolding. Um, and even your books feel like exactly what the moment calls for. Hmm. Uh, what Thank are you. your practices for channeling and creating that impactful writing? Thank you. I will say that I've never been a routine-based writer. Like, I've never been the kind of writer who's like, every morning I wake up and I just write. So affirming. Right? <laughs> I know. I very. I don't know very many people who are routine-based people. Right. I do know people who have managed to get a routine going. Mm-hmm. But for most humans, it's not our orientation. Yeah. Um, and change is constant, change is God. That's what's happening. So I do feel like um, I write every day. Yeah. And it happens because I love writing. And it's the way that I process the world. And then sometimes it's small pieces of writing and sometimes it's much larger pieces of writing. Yeah. Um, I will say that for the most part, I never deny writing when it's coming to me. So like no matter what I'm doing. So today um, I was traveling through the airport and I came through the security line I was, um, I had, I, I knew already that I had missed the flight that I attend, you know, was trying to get, mm. I was frustrated and really not being kind towards anyone. I was just like, ah, you know, just kind of like, ah, yeah, yeah, you guys have a sucky airport, you know, like all that stuff was happening. Right. And which I think is important because yeah, you got to let it out. Well, I think it's important to let it out in the moment, but I also think it's important to, for me to share because I don't have to share that. Right. I'm right. like, I was by myself. No one has to know, but I think it's also important for people to know because there's a way that people get like, oh, Asia, like she always is transformative. And like, I was like, no, like <laughs> I get pissed when I miss a flight by five minutes and like they're being assholes. Yeah. I get mad when the airport is not designed well. I get, you know, the same thing. So I come through the airport, I walk through and I was like, I need to shift my state because I am in such a funk right now. And that funky energy is not going to generate like I'm not going to make it to Toronto if I keep this funk on. Is not is gonna block me, so I walk through, the and in Chicago 
they have this massive dinosaur statue. Right. Um, that for years now I have been in conversation with this dinosaur statue. And the first time I ever came through, I just like stopped and I was like, there's this amazing dinosaur right here in the middle of the airport. I don't understand why we're not all just pausing and praising the fact that there's like a dinosaur here That's right amazing. now. And so I started like the first one was kind of random accident. Like I was just like, I'm just going to have a conversation with this dinosaur and I'm going to imagine what the dinosaur might say to me from like the great wisdom of centuries more of existence mm-hmm. than I have. Um, plus, you know, total apocalypse, plus mm. being placed as a statue <laughs> in an airport or whatever. And I love those conversations. So today I came through and I was like, I I was just like, Dino, what's good? Yeah. Can you help me out? And Dino always helps me out. And so like to me, that is an example, a perfect example of my creative writing process mm. is I'm like, I'm feeling a mess right now. I want to shift that state. I don't want to stay in this mess. And like, if I imagine myself having a conversation with this dinosaur, I'm pretty sure that there'll be some wisdom in it that like I can't just access directly. Like I can't like for whatever reason, this is how I'm structured. I can't just turn and be like, Adrian, be wiser. You know, like (laughs) (laughs) it just doesn't work. Right. Yeah. yeah. But every time I imagine a conversation with some other being, Mm. I can tap into some other wisdom. And I know technically it's all in my life, in myself, but it feels like it's not. Like, I feel like I'm having an actual conversation with a dinosaur. Yeah. And that's really comforting to me. <laughs> um, so that's an example. I often also write very early in the morning when I'm traveling. If I'm especially in a zone where I'm like, I'm going like, you know, six events in five days or whatever, those kind of things. It starts to feel like, oh, there's no room. There's no room for creative writing. Like, when am I going to write? And those times are often my most prolific times of ideas. Mm. Like it's like because I'm interacting with so many people and there's so much combustion of of energies and, and stuff happening. So I will often find that if I don't create time in those days to write, then I wake up at five, right? I'll just wake up at five like, is my brain just awake right now? Mm. Okay, got it. I'm not going to get back to sleep. Okay, cool. And I used to fight it like this is insomnia or this is that or this is whatever. But I have found that if I don't stress over it, I get enough sleep. Right. And some days there's less sleep and some days there's more. But generally I'm getting enough. And when I wake up at five, it's usually because there's something on my mind. And often it's a fully formed piece or a fully formed thought. It's just like write this down and you can go back to sleep. And that happens. You know, if I give it 15 minutes and just actually get it all out of my head or get something out of my head, Mm. then I can usually get back to sleep. Um, I've started using a dictation program too because I have early onset arthritis and I'm starting to notice it in my joints and my yeah. hands, which is terrifying for a writer. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know that I would want to live if I couldn't write. Mm. Yeah. Like it, it's so fundamental to who I am and how I process the world. So I've been using this dictation program to teach myself how to write with my mouth instead yeah. of with my hands. And it's been really cool to see like, it shifts the writing process right, in major ways. Right. Like, you have to vocalize it. You have to vocalize it. And you can't edit the same way as you go. Right. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, that, those are some of the aspects of my creative writing That's process. beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'll end it on this because we should let the bartenders go home. And you know? also you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Someday. <laughs> uh, you, write about, you write that one of the most pleasurable topics for you to contemplate is God. What are some of your thoughts on God in this moment? Uh, I, um, 
you know, Octavia Butler teaches us that God is change, uh, or at least in her books, you know, in every book that she wrote, there's some aspect of the divine force being the change force. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about God, and when I think about truly being humbled in the face of God, what I really am feeling into is truly being humbled in the face of changes, recognizing that there are changes that are beyond my comprehension and beyond my um, capacity. Mm-hmm. And then the very exciting news is like there are changes that are within my capacity. Mm-hmm. And there's a way that, you know, I can't, I don't hold the entire divine um, force, but I hold a, a tiny portion of it, just enough for in my life. And, you know, the way that I do my witchcraft, the way that I do my magic is by really making the most out of that tiny piece of divine force that I have. Um, And in my life, God happens often in rooms like we just experienced where Mm -hmm. um, I think you can feel God moving through the room when a bunch of people are realizing a new thing together Mm -hmm. or having someone say out loud, what they've known in their hearts for a long time or known in their guts for a long time. Um, Pleasure activism has been a practice of actively engaging God in other people, right? Mm. Just being like, there's some force in you that connects you to everything that exists Mm. and it's beautiful and it's powerful and you can't throw it away, right? Like you can go through, and I've gone through major bouts of depression and suicidal ideation and like, just feeling unsure about my connection, my tether to this world. And it has been that God force that always brings me back. That is like, there's a light inside of you, a tiny flame, and it may be small sometimes and bigger at others, but it's like, that is your divine spark. And with that spark, you can change as much as you want to. Um, You can change as deeply as you want to, you know, which has been my orientation is I'm less of a wide change agent and more of a deep change agent like I'm really interested in what can happen in a small group of people in a period of time you know like like I'm glad we're not in a stadium in Toronto trying to have this kind of intimate moment Michelle like, Obama was here yesterday in the stadium so. exactly right and then, and it works for her like, yeah I love the scale of no, which no. she's operating yeah right but I'm like that's not my scale my scale is like I want to give me an intimate room mm. where when 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 something true comes through we can all feel the gasp mm. together you know and I'm like, the, you, to me, I'm like, you can, I feel that divine energy in and around the back of my neck. You yeah. know, I'll start to feel like this energy that's really beautiful. And <laughs> I'm like, I want as many people as possible to be awakened to whatever that divine spark is in them. And where does it guide them to apply their medicine, their gifts, their magic, whatever it is they're, they're on earth to, mm. to bring. Um, so, and I, I do feel the pleasure of that. And I, I will say there are definitely lovers in my life who I, I've been like, we have transcended whatever was possible between our bodies. And now God is here with us and guiding us, you know? That's so beautiful. And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's cultivate more of that. <laughs> yeah. Yes to that. Yes to that. Uh, on that lovely, beautiful note. Thank you so much, Adrian. Preeti, really- this was amazing. You're so good at this. I'm so excited for your podcast. It's thank like you. you got the skills, boo. Uh, thank <laughs> you. I, I didn't ask you what the three things you were good at in your community. I realized oh, that right you. now. Look at you. Look at you circling back. That's a skill set. Okay. Um, there's a game called Nerds mm. that is have you ever heard of it? No, tell me. It's basically like if you combine solitaire and speed, but make it competitive. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's like everyone's playing solitaire by themselves as fast as possible, but there's a communal area in the middle where you're all putting your cards. 
I'm one of the best in the world <laughs> at that game. Oh my god! Um, so that's one thing. The competitive side of me doesn't know if I want to play or not play with you. <laughs> yeah, I would smash you. Oh. Oh. I would smash you. I just want you to know that right now. You played with Sages um, and you smashed them. I've yeah. played with Sages. I've smashed them because um, we win. Um, but anyway, and, and Sages are winners, so it's so much more satisfying to yeah, beat you. Um, I'm good at talking shit. I love that. <laughs> Um, I'm good at talking shit. Sometimes I give myself more permission to do it because I'm like, oh, I don't want to be mean. But I'm like, but I also want to smash you. Um, I, <laughs> you gotta let um, out. I'm really, I feel like I'm one of the best people I know with babies. Like I, with playing, like I actually am like, are we getting down on the floor and crawling around? Like what are, you lead me. Like I'm really, mm. I guess maybe the skill there is I'm really good at being led by babies or children and following their adventure. Um, and then I'd say a third thing um, is um, translation. And I don't speak oh. any other languages. So I mean translation. It's like translation of ideas that people think are too hard to understand. Yep. I'm, I, I have a, a capacity to translate those ideas into a more accessible language. Um, and and I, think that's, I think it's important, right? Like I, I feel like 100%. a lot of the people that I really respect – are like in the academic realm. Yeah. But in some ways it feels like they move the opposite way. They're like, here's an idea that everyone could understand, but we but could change the words and we could make them with more syllables and then no one would understand it. And like then we would be like the elite. Academic thing. Exactly, yeah. right? Um, so I feel like I'm kind of like a counter elite force uh, yeah. being like, here's a really big I- idea, but it's also everyone's idea because we're all alive in these bodies and we're all moving through time and we all are wired for pleasure. Mm. So trying to make stuff accessible, translating stuff into accessible language is, a, is one of my top three things. That's amazing. That It, it shows in all your writing. Thank uh, you. Well, on that note, we're going to let the bartenders go home and Adrian we sleep. Did. We did this. We're so amazing. Yay. Whew, that was the incredible Adrian Marie Brown. You can buy her book, Pleasure Activism, and also Emergent Strategy, pretty much anywhere you buy books, or you can borrow them from your local library. Before I go, I want to do some important thank yous and tell you about our exciting guest for next episode. I want to say a big thank you to Anjali from Another Story Bookstore and to Lula Lounge for being an exceptionally chill and accommodating space. A huge thank you to Nicole Palmer for being a rock star and editing and mixing this podcast. Thanks to Sara Tariq for lending me the equipment and thanks to the incredible Toronto artist, Scott Muslim, who helped me build the container for this podcast initially. The music in this episode is by incredible Toronto bands, Pantayo and Lal. Lal has a new album out called Dark Beings and it's so great. Uh, please buy it. You can find both Lal and Pantayo albums on Bandcamp. They are really incredible artists doing such awesome work and making vibrant music for our communities and they deserve all your support you can follow possibilities podcast on instagram at possibilities podcast if you would like to send some dollars our way you can send us an e-transfer at possibilitiespodcast at gmail.com it took a lot of work to bring this all together so your support would mean a lot the next episode is going to feature a possibility conversation with queer trans sri lankan american actor writer and comic loco kid he's so freaking great Uh, i recorded that interview recently and i cannot wait to share it with you all okay that's it for me for this episode thank you so much for listening i am really grateful for your time until next time